You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Sam, thank you for reading this morning and all the things you do running our children's ministry. We are very appreciative of you. Everybody give Sam a hand. So for those at home, uh, I'm glad you stayed in your pajamas this morning and uh, out of the snow, uh, the seven of us that are here are clapping for Sam. It's actually, it's actually a pretty good group, so thank you all for braving the storm and coming out. For those who are staying in and are afraid, it's just very wet, but it is beautiful. Off to our side here, we can see it coming down. It's, uh, it's just a wonder of God, uh, how he just shows us beauty every day. He doesn't have to show us this. He could just have it rain, and we, we appreciate that. We like the rain, but this is much more pretty. Today, we're going to continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm not a pastor here. I'm just one of, the, one of the members here. Chris is also one of the members, so we have none of our pastors up here today. Uh, so we're there in the back taking some time off and serving in other areas. So, but we appreciate you all. Thank you and love you. And it's great to be here. Uh, what we're going to talk about today, as we read the text, is often found in your study Bibles. It says, Jesus teaching on money. If you look at your Bible, it says Jesus teaching on money, and that, that it is there. Uh, he does talk about money, but we're going to dig a little bit deeper today. We're going to a little bit deeper level, if that's okay with you all, and look and see what, what possibly he may be meaning by that. I believe that Scripture has one meaning, but it's got many, many applications. And as I've studied this text over the past couple of weeks, and uh, for those who noticed last week we had to cancel, I was supposed to preach then, so I got an extra week to look at it. Um, I discover more and more how beautiful this passage is, and hopefully today we'll be able to walk through it and make some application to our life, and some of it may be a little bit challenging, uh, but that's my goal, is to challenge you. It's been challenging me, so it's been twisting in my heart, so I want to twist your heart too, so enjoy the ride with me, right? Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning is happy people with you, but also broken in our hearts. Sometimes grip us and sometimes... Father, for we've sinned against you and our transgressions sometimes grip us and sometimes we don't even notice they are. And we ask your forgiveness for that. We thank you for your salvation found through Christ. And Father, as we open up your word this morning and we walk through your words that you've given us, you end this sermon by saying that Jesus taught as one with authority. Father, you are that one true God with ultimate authority. We submit to you this morning, Lord. We submit to your words, and we pray that just the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. 
Father, we pray that as we, as we read some of these words and they challenge us, they would inspire us to truly be on mission for you. Father, we just ask at this time, whether we're in this room together or we're at home, we separate this time. We set it apart. We sanctify it for you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, we missed last week and to catch you up, uh, where we're at, in case you haven't joined us in a while, or if you're new to the church, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We're kind of in the middle of it. We're, we're landing right in the middle of chapter six and just trying to walk where we've been through. Our major theme that we're picking up of Jesus teaching us is that, that we as Christians need to be different. As we come out of the world, we come out of our culture, we submit to Christ, we follow him, we can no longer live as unbelievers. He's challenging us to be different. He does that at the very beginning in chapter five. He talks about the Beatitudes. He talks about what does what, what a Christian look like? What is their temperament? What is their, their, their focus on life? And then he goes into it and says, you go out on mission and be salt and light in the world. Ask them to Christ. And then he goes into a long section. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. He says, you have heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And he's walking through some of the Old Testament law and he's teasing out the true meaning of that law. And he's calling, calling some hypocrites out and saying, you've missed the point here. Uh, I need you to see that God is calling you to be perfect as he is perfect. He repeats that several times because that's found in Leviticus many times. Now, none of us are gonna be perfect this side of heaven, but he calls us to that and says, there's a higher standard for each one of you and I. Then he gets into chapter six and he says, okay, we describe what it means to be a Christian now. Christian, I want you to be fully submitted to me and have a willful dependence upon me. This is what this is gonna look like. And you're gonna go through some spiritual disciplines. I want, you to, I want you to give and I want you to pray and I want you to fast. But while you're doing this, be careful that you have the right motivation and the right attitude otherwise you'll turn it in about yourself. And that's where we talked about praying in secret and giving in secret and your father will reward you in secret. It's good to pray with our fellow Christians. It's good to give, but let's not draw attention to ourselves. Let's draw attention to the one true God of whom we serve in all that we do. And then he makes a kind of a break here. And it's kind of, I think it's kind of strange. He's talking about praying and fasting and giving. And he talks of this, this beautiful prayer, the model prayer we use. And then he says, starts talking about treasures. And I remember reading this as a kid. I'm thinking, treasures, cool. I like treasures. So I used to play some board games and there were treasures on the board games. And also I remember as a kid, and I remember Pastor Will, he had an illustration several months ago and he talked about as a kid, you will, you will focus on some small toy and it will become very precious to you. And once you, once you get it and you play with it for a while, you kind of set it aside because it grows old. You're no longer captured and enraptured by the newness of it and it just becomes another toy you have. And that's so, so like that, us. For those of you who've had a new, anybody had a new car recently? Bought a new car, like that new car smell? And after a while, it starts to smell like, sorry, Will. It's just not new anymore. So what do we do? We vacuum it out, we clean it up, and we go, to, we go down to the, to the auto shop and we get the spray. It's the new car smell. We're trying to make it feel like it was, but that treasure is molding and it's no longer new. It no longer has that, that attention grabner to us. Jesus is pointing out in the text today that he's warning us. 
He's warning us that the subtleties of attractions, the things that attract us, will distract us from him. The attractions will distract us for it competes for our affections. It competes for our attention and ultimately our very hearts. It will get down to who we are. And he's teaching us that the reward of such distractions will never satisfy us because they're going to waste away. It's fading. And ultimately, it's going to cause us to serve ourselves instead of him. So very plainly, he says, don't focus on the treasures of the earth. I need you to focus on the treasures of heaven. And we're going to talk about what those are in a minute. He's really talking about what we call worldliness, a churchy term that really just means what are we focusing on outside of God? Now, we live in that. We're immersed in that. God's called us to be the salt and the light in this world, but he's saying, don't be worldly. It's a buyer's beware. How many of y'all have, have done what, exactly what I've done? I've stopped at the store, and I needed, I needed like two things. I've got to run in and get it, and I come out, and I've spent $120, and I have five bags. But I went in to get two things. Anybody? Anybody? Yep. You too. I saw you, I saw you at Costco as well. But the, the marketers know this. Psychologists know this. They, they get us with that. They put all the, the cool things up front. I was, I was in just two days ago at a grocery store, not Costco, another one, and I was standing behind a lady, and she had like three items, and she had two little girls, and all the little candy was right there. And they were, they were just, mommy, 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 mommy. So she gave in. She gave it to them. That's the world. It, it never satisfies us, though. You know, I've, and studying this scripture, I've studied two great guys in, in several commentaries. There was a pastor, an English pastor, back in the mid-1900s, named D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Dr. Jones exposited through this, and he talks about that the common phrase is, we, we battle the world, our flesh. And what else was the third one? The devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The other guy I, I read was uh, R. Kent Hughes. He's a, he's a great um, homiletics teacher up at, up at uh, Westminster Seminary. And apparently to be a great uh, expositor of the Sermon on the Mount, you can't use your first name. So today will be the sermon from R. Shannon Lee because I'm following R. Kent Hughes and D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. But Jesus here is talking about this world, flesh, and the devil idea. And he says that He's really, he's connecting, he doesn't really talk about the devil, we'll get into that another day, but he says, this is how the world intersects with your flesh, and this is a way to deal with it well, and this is a way to avoid. Because the problem is, not only do we, we're attracted by things, shiny objects, but just like the early Christians that Jesus is talking to, we live immersed in relationships, just like they were. We live immersed in a culture, and politics, and economy, and anything else that grows across the public square, because that's where God has called us to be. He's called us to be the salt and the light in the public square, but he's, he's warning us, don't be the public square. Don't fall to those temptations. Separate yourselves, be different then, because we're fallen and we like stuff. I like stuff but I don't want the stuff to get us and to draw us away. I want us to have the right focus on it. The tension that Jesus is talking about here between the material world and the, and the world of, of thoughts and ideas, he's giving us two warnings. And he's warning us against our motives. 
And he's calling you in verse 24 to ask, who do you serve ultimately? Who is it do we serve? He's calling us to serve the master. And the truth is, when we think of politics and economy and the things and shopping and relationships, there is no area in the public square or in our families or in your own personal heart that the gospel does not touch. It will solve every one of those problems if we're, if we're willing to be committed and submitted to it. That's the hard part, though, because we like stuff. Number one, verse 19 through 21, I want you to see the explicit message that Jesus is teaching us. And this is what your study Bibles usually say, this is teaching on money. And he's warning us about the things that we place value in, and yes, it is money, but treasure is also anything that we really kind of captures our focus and our attention, like that little kid in that toy, or the big kid in that car, or that sweater, or your Instagram page, or that relationship. Anything that captures your attention is your treasure. Because where your treasure is, he tells us in verse 23, that's where your heart will be. And he's saying, I want your treasure to be focused on the heavenly treasure, not the earthly treasure. And really what he's saying is, as we look at, the, at all of scripture, he's saying we are, as Christians, we are just temporary members of this world. We're sojourners. We're here temporarily. Our home is in a different place with him forever. But we have to deal with the here and now. And to keep that idea that we're just sojourners, we are just temporary residents, therefore everything around us is temporary and it doesn't really matter. But in the here and now, we still have to deal with it because we still have to pay our light bill and put gas in our car and deal with money and deal with things. And we have to teach our children to do the same. In Hebrews 11, there's a, there's a picture of, a, of the writers going through kind of a, a real short lesson in the Old Testament. And he's talking about the faithful for the Old Testament. He says, by faith, all these people did these things. They look for seeing God. They see the unseen God. And they're also looking for the architect of the creation. And as they're looking for him, they go, oh, that's him. And they're looking forward to the Christ. The problem is they, we get distracted as we're looking for the Christ. But, you know, money's not all bad, is it? Scripture teaches it's actually there's good things to it. Money itself is not neither good nor bad. It's what we do with it. Our Kent Hughes, the, the, other, the other guy I mentioned, he had a great quote. He says, anything in this world is everything to you it is an earthly treasure. So if anything in this world is everything to you, which might be your bank account, might be your position at work, might be your status, it might be your significant other, if that's everything to you, it's an earthly treasure. But what about the, the things that aren't earthly treasures? You know, he's called us to this upward call, this eternal life with him. We sang about it, we read the scripture about our inheritance that's incorruptible, and undefiled. That's the earthly treasure he's talking about. Prepare. But we still have to work in a world today and prepare. So the Bible doesn't condemn the collection of wealth. Proverbs 6, 8 talks about an ant. It says the ant, the ant makes bread in the summertime and in the harvest it collects because winter's coming. Paul in 1 Timothy, he talks about 
If you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So you need to uh, accumulate some things so you can pay your doctor's bills and buy food and care for, and care for the, the hurt and the sicking, the hurt and the sick. It says later on in, in Timothy, he says, you've got to manage those things well. Proverbs 31 is a whole proverb about managing well and reproducing for God. And what I found interesting in 1 Timothy, not only do we manage well, we provide for our, our families, but Paul's picking up on a theme through the Song of Solomon. It says, not only do we get things and that's okay, just don't let the things get you, but enjoy life under God. Let God provide you the things you need and bless other people and then just enjoy life. Don't be so focused on, on always managing. Relax and enjoy. I'd like for you to turn to Luke 16, though. I want you to take a look, quick look at a, a story that I think makes, makes a good illustration of what Jesus is trying to, to tell us. In Luke 16, Jesus is, is talking about, picking up verse 19, the rich man and Lazarus. Now, we don't know if this is the same Lazarus, it's just a guy named Lazarus. And he said, there was a rich man, uh, so if you just skim down through verses 19 through, through uh, 29, I'll just summarize it, we won't read it. There was a rich man, and he had, he had opulence. He was, he was clothed in purple, he ate well, but at his gate was this man named Lazarus. He was sick, and he was poor, and he just ate the scraps off his table. They both die. They die at the same time. So Jesus has given us a comparison here. They both die. Lazarus goes into the bosom of Abraham. He goes into heaven. The rich man goes to Hades. He's torn and went there because he had money. Now Jesus is not saying because the rich man, the rich man went there because he had money and the poor man went to heaven because he was poor. We assume from his other teaching and this is because Lazarus knew Jesus knew who he was as the savior and the rich man was trusting in his wealth. And while he's in Hades, the rich man sees Abraham and they have a conversation. He screams over to him and says, send Lazarus just to dip his finger in the water to quench my thirst for I'm suffering. Abraham says, can't do it. There's a great chasm. And that chasm is the difference between believing in Christ and not believing in Christ. And he says, I beg you about who you are. And send and Abraham says, I can't do it because God has already provided the prophets and the law. And what Jesus is telling him is says, the word, God's word is preserved to tell you and each person has to make that decision for their own. So our spiritual treasure in heaven is what Lazarus is experiencing, the eternal glory of God. Being at the right hand of God where there is no sickness, there is no crying. There is no pain. That treasure in heaven is a blessed detachment from our earthly treasures. Think about if you didn't have to earn money and pay bills and everything was just taken care of for you. It's a blessed detachment from earthly treasures, Lloyd-Jones says. First Timothy picks this up and there's a treasure in heaven we can see right here today and where we can build into it, we can invest into that treasure in heaven is not only our own salvation in Christ, but in 1 Timothy chapter six, he says, as for the rich in this present age, 
Now you have to define who's rich. And I know some of you all are probably going, that's not me right now. I'm struggling to, I'm struggling to just buy food for my family. You know, when you compare the average income of an American to the world, that we're all rich. We're all rich in this room and at home. We may be struggling a little bit, but that's okay. We're rich. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God. Charge them to trust on God who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So they may take hold. God is saying, be a great steward. Take what I've given you. Bring goodness to other people. Be rich in good works. Not that you earn his favor, but that is the overflow of a joy that you have from your salvation to him. Be generous. Be ready to share that you may take hold of what's life to come. Micah 6.8 says, Oh man, God has told you what is good and told you what to do, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There's the treasure he's saying store up. It's not the things in our life. It's what we are storing up for later. Proverbs 22, six, many of you have heard this, this verse, train up a child the way he should go and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I challenge you to go back and look at the context of that. That context is in wealth and in money. Train them up of how to deal with it well. So there's a spiritual application of this. We already talked about Lazarus, talked about helping other people. Romans talks about the ultimate treasure is that salvation when you believe in your heart and you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So there's the first treasure. And the second treasure is growing with him. One way you can do that is just continuing to grow closer with God through your spiritual disciplines. And I have a commercial for you for that. Get this book. Right, Chris? This book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. It's a great little book. And we just happen to have a class coming up, don't we, Chris? Yeah, how about that? Next week, starting next week, you can do it here or online. So check our website out. Chris and some others, our resident professor is gonna be walking through how we can build some treasure here to bless others. Do mercy. And we love justice. So he's told us explicitly what to do. He said, watch out where your treasure is. It's gonna reveal your devotion. Secondly, verses 22 through 24, this is the implicit warning. And the implicit warning is it's not, I mean by that, I mean it's not quite obvious. He says, what you value reveals what you love, but also what you value can control you. And this is the warning. He gets into this, this discussion about the eye. The eye is a lamp of the body and and there's, there's darkness and there's light and there's, what does all this mean? Jesus is talking about what we take in in our eye, what we see, we're very visual creatures, is what we're drawn to. And that's gonna make us think. That's gonna make us make decisions. And it's tied into our heart. 
See, what we see and what we hear, he didn't say the ears here, but it's what we perceive, what we take in. It's gonna drive your thoughts. It's gonna support your affections that you already have in your heart. It's gonna drive your mind. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I mentioned him. He talks about this and he says that there's, there's two visions that we have. For the faithful, Christian has single vision. We develop that over time and we're focused on the things that God wants us to do and the building up those treasures in heaven and building our character and that's what we should do. The struggle we have, though, is we have double vision because we have this sinful nature. We have this, this portion of us that loves attractions that distract us. He says this double vision, it, this double vision is blurred. It's not cleared. It's blurred by our biases and our prejudices and desires and our lusts. It's, it's clouded by our taints and the tents of our hearts. So this window we're looking through is how we perceive things it's how we truth and go, if I'm looking at this situation, it doesn't match up with God's truth. Many will say, well, God's word's wrong. I think we need to check our heart and go, hmm, I think the creator of the universe is probably right on this and maybe this is my bias and my prejudice that's driving me to a wrong conclusion. We choose to see what we want to see because it's driven by our desires. How many of y'all have been on the social media and searching through something that interests you and you keep seeing things that are very similar and you start to think, oh, that's true, that's true, that's true. Have you thought that maybe your social media is feeding you things that, that are similar that you like? Check out a little documentary called Social Dilemma on Netflix. There's another advertisement. It's gonna show you that every social media out there is gonna show you what your bias is because it's ultimately tied to money. It's gonna reinforce what you think in your heart, not reinforce truth. Jesus says, watch out for that. And Mark, he says it this way, says, having eyes they do not see and having ears they don't hear. What are they not hearing and seeing? Not hearing the truth. They're not seeing the other side of an argument. You're only seeing your one side. In Romans, it says it this way, at his written, quoting Isaiah, God gave them a spirit of stupor eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear down to this very day. We keep taking in things that make us feel good, make us sound good. It's the itching ears, but that is not truth. Discussion. When Jesus was standing before Pilate, it's a very interesting discussion. Jesus is, or Pilate's questioning him. He says, why are you here? And Jesus says, for this reason I came into the world, for this reason I was born to testify to the truth. To testify to the truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He's there to testify to the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? 2,000 years ago, that was recorded, what is truth? How much more true is it today in our society, outside these walls, and also inside your heart, we question, God says, well, he defines truth. I define my own truth. Jesus is saying, that is a treasure. That is an arrogant treasure that you think you define your own truth. I am the truth. The guy who wrote and quoted that Isaiah passage, he was Saul. If you know his story from the book of Acts, he was a very, very pious and devoted follower of God. But he hated Christians. He persecuted them. And God miraculously changed him. 
on a road, he blinded him. And I think it's interesting that Jesus here is talking about sight and to call Apostle Paul, who wrote half of our New Testament and most of our theology, he blinded him. Blinded him so that he could ultimately have the scales removed from his eyes to see the truth of Christ standing in front of him. I think that's pretty awesome. He had to help Paul change his heart. For our heart, to dr- our heart des- drives what we view, what we look at. What we want to see is what we go search for. And Jesus says, I need you to search for the truth. Our sight drives what we think, our mind, that's what he's talking about here. And then the next part in verse 24, he says, that mind will drive what you do. Your heart will drive where you look. Your sight will in here and your ears will confirm that and that's gonna drive what you do. Our actions reveal what we really value and what we really, really love. What do we value? Look at your calendars. Look at your bank account. Look who you talk to and how you say it. Chapter six, Jesus says, I need you to be different. Go out and be salt and the light in the world. Look, have the world look at you or salt and light. You wanna, you wanna be a chameleon with them because you don't wanna be judged and you don't wanna be in the council, council culture. Jesus said there's gonna be persecutions coming. Maybe that's part of it. Hey, Ron, can you pull that up for me? I'm gonna pull up a picture here. And for those who are at home, I want you to, while you're listening to me, I know you're probably... Uh, texting and probably surfing the internet while you're listening. I know what you do. (laughs) Google Rembrandt's The Sea of Galilee, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. We have have it posted up here. You probably can't see it online. Jesus said, there's going to be storms. It's a picture. It's kind of dark, but it's a picture of the apostles in, the, in a storm on the boat, in the boat. It's this, this is found in, in three of the gospels, this story of Jesus being asleep in the middle of the storm in a tempest. Can't see it too well, but he's in the back and Rembrandt paints him as a very calm. Everybody else is in chaos. There's actually one guy hanging over the side, throwing up. That would be me with seasick. There's people who are trying to hold on to the boat and, and there's people reaching out to Jesus and Jesus is just calm. He says, there's gonna be storms. Just stay in the boat with me. First of all, are you in the boat? Do you even know Jesus? Stay in the boat. If you know anything about Rembrandt, he liked to paint himself in pictures. If you count the people, and those at home, you'll do it. There's 14 people in the boat. There's only 12 apostles. 12 apostles and Jesus is 13. There's 14. Rembrandt's in the picture. He put himself in there. He's the guy holding on to the the lanyard looking out. So are you in the boat with Jesus? There's gonna be storms, but you know what? I'll, I'd rather be in the, in the calmness next to Jesus in, the, in a storm than outside the boat, in my own boat, my own treasure boat. What are you, influ- or what are you influenced by most? What is your boat that you'd like to get into? Is it Twitter? Is it Facebook? Is it Instagram? Is it Parlor? if you can even find it anymore? What are, are you influenced by? Are you influenced by me as your thoughts? Are your thoughts occupied with serving other people or is it being served? There's a treasure. What are you fret, fret about? What are you scared of? How do you as Christians, how do you measure someone else's character? 
Is it by God's standard or yours or somebody else's? Another question about where your treasure is, what could you be happy without? What could you get rid of in your life and you go, I'm still, gosh, I'm still, I'm so happy with God. It's probably some earthly treasures worth getting, getting rid of. Or where is really your treasure? Is it in security of, of who, who you are and your, and your finances? Or is it really in your security in Christ? You know, this last year of 2020, a lot of people said, man, I'm so glad that's over. <laughs> I saw a meme, maybe you saw it too. A couple of weeks into 2021, someone said, I've, I've had my seven-day trial period. I'd like to return to 2021. You know, it's, it's very obvious that our culture is changing. You'd have to be a lizard under a rock. Yes, Adam, I meant to say that. A lizard under a rock. Not just covid but all the ideas around COVID. It's not COVID's the problem, it seems like. It's the ideas around COVID. We have people sick in our church that we need to be taking care of and praying for. We have coworkers that are sick we need to be taking, taking care of and praying for. But our culture seems to be more interested in who's getting vaccinations and who's not getting vaccinations and policy. How about we just get some vaccinations? Last summer, we, we struggled through the, the racial divide in our country. And there needs to be justice in our land. God calls us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. But those ideas, I think, were hijacked with people with political agendas for their own benefit, their own protection of who they are and their position. And unfortunately, I, my concern as a member of New City Fellowship and, and, the, and the Church of Christ is this is creeping into our family. And I think if we're honest, we know where it is in this room and in our city. It's a treasure that's earthly. And whether your political leaning is left or right or middle or center, God does not care. He says, where are you, where are you working for the heavenly treasures? Are you loving people? Are you showing them mercy? Are you trying to sit down and understand where they come from instead of being judging and arguing? Or you just ask them questions and say, tell me about this. Where are you without judgment? Because God calls us to be salt and light and to love and to be humble in the fruits of the spirit. Love is not arrogance, not boastful. But I'm concerned personally because there is a lot of arrogance in our culture and I'm afraid it's creeping into our church. And we've got to fight against it. Family, it's going to divide us and destroy us if we don't stand up for the truth, the truth of Christ, and stop hanging on to our treasures. You've heard recently in, in our political scene this idea that people who started off is voicing their opinion and it turns violent, it turns destructive, that should never ever happen. 
We should always support free speech because if we don't, then we won't have it in this room. But the moment we step across and we start destruction of property and hurting people, that's where the line has to be drawn. But the problem is, in the after effects, we can't start seeking and hunting people down because I'm afraid that's happening in our country. You've heard words like deprogramming. We need to close down certain media outlets because they voice an opinion we don't like. That's concerning to me because that creeps into our church and we start not loving but hating people with different opinions. As a member of the Department of Defense on Friday, my, my senior leader, the Secretary of Defense, put out a memo and he says that we're gonna root out extremism and dissident ideologies. We're gonna root out from the Department of Defense extremism and dissident ideologies. That's a quote from policy that's been around for 20 years. The problem is, how are we defining extremism and dissent ideologies? If you read our papers, they're defining that much, much different than we did 20 years ago. How, what's our response as a church? I think to stand on the cross of Christ for love, to do justice, and to walk humbly with our God. And that humbly looks like love and not arrogance. It's not double vision that, that Lloyd was talking about. We have to look at things very clearly and not mix things that it should be opposites. We cannot mix oil and water. We cannot mix our culture into our church. We need to mix our church into the culture. Not bring it in, we go out. G.K. Chesterton, a, a great writer and a theologian and a Catholic theologian, a philosopher from last century. He said, the height of obscurity, the height of silliness, in other words, is when we call a cat a dog and the sun the moon. This is picked up by, and he said, when you call the cat a dog and the sun a moon, in other words, you're saying opposite things are the same, you now have lost all rational argument and you'll never get anywhere, you'll never be happy. Because truth is gone. As a church who loves life, loves advice, and loves others, we've got to stand up for the truth and not call a cat a dog and the sun the moon. What does that look like in our culture right now? We're going to choose human choice over sanctity of life, and we're going to just kind of ignore and say, that's okay. That's That's wrong. We're going to ignore biological science and say a man is a woman and a woman is a man and they can do whatever they want. That's fine, you can have your free choice, but Jesus says, stand on the truth. Toleration, we should be very tolerant of people. A pastor in Texas, I heard him this this past week, this is a great quote. He said, toleration where people is concerned is a virtue we should love. We should understand. We should come along people who are struggling with identity. Toleration where people are concerned is a, is a virtue, but toleration where truth is concerned is a tragedy. And Jesus is saying, what is your treasure? Is your treasure truth or is your treasure fitting in? Do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Are you in the boat with Jesus? It's off now. You saw the boat. Are you outside and tossing in the waves yourself? 
It's a choice. It's a hard one, family. And we're going to walk through some spiritual disciplines with Chris, and he's leading us through that and understanding how we can understand God's truth better and lay up those treasures in heaven. Because as he finishes this up, and this is the admonition of the whole thing, where your heart is will reveal your treasure. What you see, that's going to be the light or dark. And then he finishes up and says, you can't serve two masters. You're either going to stand for my truth or you're not. You cannot serve God. Our ESV says money, God, and money. And I think the bigger implication of this and the threat to our nation and really our threat to our church is this idea of, this thought of ideas and not being able to have the idea that we stand on truth. We're on dangerous ground. But I don't want to leave us there because that's kind of sad. Let's go back to the rich man of Lazarus. I left off a part of it. The rich man says, okay, if you're not going to give me some water, then send Lazarus to my brothers because I don't want my brothers to go through this. Abraham says they can't do it because we've given them the law and the prophets. They have the word of God, the truth to tell them what is needed in their life. Lazarus responds to him. He says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, and this is, remember, this is Jesus talking about this. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus speaking of himself. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. So where's your treasure? Is your treasure in Jesus? If you're with us today or you're at home and you've never stepped into the boat with Jesus, today is the day. Today is a day of salvation. Jesus is saying you can't serve two masters. Come and follow me. But it's not an empty promise because the, as we say in Tennessee, it only gets gooder from here. And it's beautiful. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I, I've, I've got treasures mixed up in my life and I, I tell you what, I do too. I do too. Take what I've given you and be a great steward because you're not taking any of it with you anyway. So let's give it away and let's stand for justice and righteousness. Let's do what he says. He's told you, O oh man, what is good, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Why do we walk humbly? Because Jesus did. Jesus walked humbly and knew everything that was going to happen to that cross for each one of us. And he said, it's not my will, Father, but it's yours. And God gave his treasure so that you and I would have the eternal treasure. Let's pray. Father, we, as we come to your table, 
Help us to understand more and more what this treasure is. You give us hints of it, Father. You give us little snapshots of what it looks like. You talk about beautifulness of heaven. You talk about the forgiveness of sin. We fully don't understand it, Lord. I confess I don't. Father, I know the idols of my heart. I know the things that are not earthly treasure. Father, help me to truly be like David, a man after your own heart, that I may build up treasures here for your glory. Father, we ask your blessing and the cleansing of our sins. Individual and corporately as a nation, help us to influence the world. Help us to be on mission for you instead of being influenced by the world. Help us to take my family. It is finished. I will not serve the master. Thank you, Father. Jesus' name. If you take that small cup, we hand it out. And if you're home, we're doing a due communion. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood which will be shed for you for the remission of sins. And he took his body, the bread, and he said, this will be broken. So take and eat the body and the blood of Christ. If you're not in the boat with Jesus, though, I ask that you consider the confession of your mouth and the belief in your heart that God raised him from the dead before you approach his table. Because he warns us that there will be condemnation if you don't. Take a few moments as Chris and Evan play. Examine your heart and take and eat as you need.